But once again this morning, what I would like to do is to bring to you a message from the Word of God, a message concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And if I can put it this way, a message concerning our Lord Jesus Christ by way of his own self-identity and understanding. I don't know if you've ever thought about the Lord Jesus Christ in that fashion, his self-identity, his understanding. Well, over and over again in the Word of God, in the Gospel accounts, we see that our Lord Jesus Christ, if I can put it this way, was very much aware of who he was and what he was doing. There were no questions in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ as to what his mission was. There was no question in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ as to what he came to accomplish. And what he came to accomplish was essentially this, the salvation of sinners through faith in his name. And as a matter of fact, one of the ways in which I would introduce this sermon to you is along the following lines. That if we were to sum up the entire word of God in one sentence, that sentence would sound something like this. That the purpose of God in the scripture is to reveal his glory in the salvation of sinners, bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ. Every verse in the Bible ultimately ends there. Every thought in the Christian's mind ultimately goes there. That when all is said and done, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who has brought him from where he was in his sin, now to the Father's arms. And so this idea that the Lord Jesus Christ identifying himself in these ways is something that we see, as I said before, not only in one place of scripture, we see it throughout, the, we, we see it in many places. As a matter of fact, I would say this to you, stop and think with me concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and his self-identity and the awareness of it. There we see him at a very early age, at 12 years old, saying to his mother and father, I must be about my father's business. Look at him as he comes into the beginning of his ministry, his public ministry. And what does he say? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel for he has anointed me, he says. And so again, he has this awareness. Stop and think during his entire ministry. What does he say? The son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so again, if you will allow me, the Lord Jesus Christ has this great awareness of who he is, this great awareness of what his mission is. Well, there's another way in which we see this awareness of our Lord Jesus Christ and in that summary statement, this idea that the Bible is all about revealing the glory of God and the salvation of sinners. I think one of the clearest places that we see this is again in the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verse 31 the summary statement of the Apostle John to the entire gospel that he wrote. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. You see, this is, this is John's thrust. This is John's emphasis. John is not writing inadvertently. He's writing with a purpose. And that purpose is to bring you and I to faith in Jesus Christ, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, again, in this purpose, what we see throughout the gospel account, not only through the writing of John, but also through the sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ, is that there were those times throughout our Lord's ministry when he would make himself known in a particular fashion. He would utter what many of us know and understand are referred to as the I am sayings. Seven times in the Gospel of John, we have this reference to the Lord Jesus Christ referring to himself as I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what's very interesting in this, in this is that we see our Lord Jesus Christ in these sayings 
revealing something about his own nature. And this is because that title that he uses for himself, I Am, was a title that was taken from the Old Testament book of Exodus. And it was a title by which God, Jehovah, identified himself to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses says, who sent me? I am that I am. I think we spoke about this the last time I was here. But the idea here is this. When the Lord Jesus Christ attributes this name to himself, it's purposeful. It's not inadvertent. It's not in any way by mistake. He is identifying himself with his father by way of his, by way of his essential nature. But there's something else that, this I, that these I am statements do. They not only reveal to us the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ in his essence, they also show to us the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in his messianic office. You see, he has come in such a way as to fulfill all those types and pictures that we see. In, good morning. All these types and pictures that we see in the Old Testament. So when we see in the Old Testament God feeding his people miraculously with manna, the Lord Jesus Christ comes and says, I am the bread of life. When we see the Lord, when we see God Almighty directing his people through the wilderness with this pillar of fire by night, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. When we see in the Old Testament God giving his people water out of the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the water of life. And so what we see here is this, is this identification of our Lord Jesus Christ by this specific terminology, I am. And in that terminology, as I said before, he is, he, is, he is showing to us something of his essential nature as the divine son of God and something of his messianic mission. And he does that all in those sayings, I am. Very, very important. Now, why do I bring these things out to you? Because what I want you to see here in this eighth chapter of John, verse 12, that when our Lord Jesus Christ presents himself to us as the light of the world, he is essentially saying to us this, that the only way that we can navigate through this dark world and find ourselves home in the arms of our Father is through the light that Jesus Christ gives us, through the light that Jesus Christ is, is himself. And so, as I said before, in this dark world, Jesus Christ is your light. In this dark world, Jesus Christ is the way in which you navigate through all the difficulties and all the darkness that this world presents to us. And so what I hope to do with you this morning is to open up this passage of Scripture with this primary heading that Jesus Christ is our light in this dark world that leads us home to our Heavenly Father. But what I want to do is I want to work with this passage of Scripture, John 8, 12. And what I want you to see in this passage of scripture are basically three things. And there are things that are here, I would say this, by way of implication. There's a sense in which this passage of scripture has to be explained in its setting. And we'll do that as we work through. But there's another sense in which we can take this passage of scripture and see that there are certain things implied in the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world, understand he is implying that this world is a dark place. And we would say it's more than an implication, isn't it? And we will see the darkness that our Lord Jesus Christ is referring to. Number two, when our Lord Jesus Christ says, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, the second point that we are seeing by way of implication is a point that you've often heard. And you've not always heard it within a biblical setting. And the second point is this, 
Life is a journey. You've heard that, haven't you? Well, when the Lord Jesus Christ says that I am the light of the world and he that follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life, well, the implication there brings us back to our primary proposition that Jesus Christ is the light by which we walk through this dark world. And so what I want to do here this morning is I want to develop each one of these points. And I want you to understand, first and foremost, what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is today a light in this present dark world. You see, I think there's a sense in which we read this passage of Scripture, and it doesn't jar us the way it should. And I think the reason for that is because we live in a world, if I can put it this way, not only of natural light, but we live in a world that is developed to some degree what I would call artificial light. We turn lights on at night. We have lights that we can burn, we can burn uh, lights 24 hours a day. In one sense, we could never be in darkness. But when our Lord Jesus Christ spoke at this time, it wasn't the case. The lights were, again, artificial lights, and maybe a lamp could be lit, but what kind of a light would that give? And so when the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world, I hope by way of proclamation and by way of explanation, you can sense afresh just what a wonderful thing it is to have light. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I think some of us, most of us have gray hair here, when our eyes start to go bad, isn't it refreshing to put the glasses on? I don't know, it's, it's, it's one, of the, one of the oddest things. I, I've, I've noticed this, that, that when I'm working and I can't see anything and I put my glasses on, it's almost refreshing. I, I, I can't explain it. I don't know why clarity of eyesight would be a refreshing thing, but it is. It's like, oh, finally light. I can see what I'm doing. And light is like that. But again, back to our, the specifics of our sermon. So again, three points in this sermon. Number one, this world is a dark place. Number two, our, this present life is a journey. And number three, the Lord Jesus Christ is the light by which we walk this dark world. Well, the first thing I want you to see and understand then is this, is that this world is a dark place. And the darkness of this world is really seen not only in moral categories, but is also seen in mental or intellectual categories as well. Let me explain that to you. I think on one hand, it doesn't take any real um, effort to understand, particularly those of us who have made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I guess at this point, I have to set this question before you. Have you made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ yours? Do you understand what it is for Christ to be offered to you as a Savior? That this one whom God sent, this one whom God sent, not just for humanity at large, but who sent for you, that the embrace of him by faith is that act of salvation. It is the way in which we come into a saving relationship with God. And so again, this idea that the world is a dark place, it's easy for us to see that. We understand that there are moral categories that this world has. Not only moral categories that this world has, but moral categories that God has. And we look at the world around us and we see darkness. And what's even more unsettling and what's more disturbing is not only when we look to the world outside of us and see darkness, it's unsettling when we look within and see darkness as well. When we see the remnants of darkness, when we see that there are corners still in our soul that the light of the gospel is not fully shined upon, it hurts us, doesn't it? It brings us back to the cross afresh, shouldn't it? And so again, this idea that the world is a dark place is something I think that we all see and understand. Now again, the darkness that our Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about then is still the same kind of darkness we see now. Again, as I said before, we see moral darkness, and believe it or not, in this 8th chapter of John, we had a picture of moral darkness given to us. 
We didn't read from it, but that picture of moral darkness was found in verses 1 through 11. And you know the passage of Scripture in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It's that, that, that account of the woman taken into adultery. Now again, let me say this. For, from, our, from our perspective as, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, identifying with Christ and identifying with the woman in that whole situation that took place there, excuse me, one of the things that we cannot forget is that there was sin that she was guilty of. There was an example of moral darkness there. But it's not only moral darkness that we see in that passage of Scripture. We also see, if I can put it this way, religious darkness. We see religious darkness as well. And in one sense, that darkness is even deeper than moral darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ said at one time, you know, if, 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 if the light, if, if your eye is single, uh, you know, you have, you have this clear bit, but if the light that is in you is darkness, and religion is to be to man something of a light, but it's been turned to darkness by way of his fallen nature. And we see the darkness of religion in the fact that this woman, guilty of sin, found herself caught up in the machinery of religion. And religion at that day knew nothing of the grace of God, it knew the law. And with the law, it would condemn. And there we also see the darkness of religion because in the malice that the religious leaders show to that woman, they show a deeper malice to the Lord Jesus Christ. How was that? Master. Whenever you find the word master on the lips of the enemies of our Lord, you know that there is a trap being set. Master. We found this woman taken in adultery in the very act. Moses said that she should be stoned. What do you say? The Lord Jesus Christ says nothing. But John tells us something. The gospel writer, John tells us they said these things to trap him. They said these things to take him in his words. Throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have this this dynamic going on where the religious leaders, as their opposition grows toward the Lord Jesus Christ, they attempt to catch him in his words, to discredit him to to, to the people at large, and then to use those words against him, ultimately to destroy him. So what we see is this real malice, and we see the darkness of religion. We see religion that, if I can put it this way, has has not only religion, not only apart from light, but religion that has rejected the light. I have to say this to you, the same thing happens in our day as well. Do not think that every religious voice is a voice that is associated with the light of the gospel. There are religious challenges that are in the world today that the Christian must discern. There are voices of morality that come to us, voices of morality that will will offer themselves to us as a light. But in contrast to all these voices and all these other lights that, the Lord, that, uh, that, that are out there, the Lord Jesus Christ presents himself as the true light. And when he says, I am the light of the world, understand he is calling men and women, he is calling sinners to himself. And so again, we see that this world is a dark place. But not only is it a dark place by way of its moral uh, by way of moral uh, sin, and not only is it a dark place by way of religious sin, we also have to be aware of this, that, that the world is a dark place because of intellectual sin. Now, we need to be careful here. We have to be careful with all of our words, but we need to make sure that we approach this correctly. 
I think that one of the great ways to look at modern man and the advances that modern man is making is to see that as modern man advances, he is, unbeknownst to him, carrying out a creation mandate to have dominion over the world, to have dominion over the creation of God. And so when man makes new and new advances, advances in science, advances in medicine, advances in, in all these various things, we're seeing man in his being made in the image of God, exhibiting this kind of, uh, this, this kind of pur- uh, purpose that God has given to him. But we can never forget that the mind of man is still darkened by sin. The scripture tells us in a number of places how that the mind has been darkened by sin and that we as individuals operate with a mindset that is affected by sin. Even when we've come to the light of the gospel, we still have the residual elements of sin that remain in us and we have to fight those things. That's why when you pick up the word of God and you read the word of God and you see that the word of God sometimes is speaking against you, you cannot shut that down. You have to take that as the voice of God to you in that moment. And God corrects our thinking, doesn't he? God changes the, uh, the, the, the attitudes of the heart. God exposes to ourselves from his word. And sometimes it's not even in the, through, 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 uh, through the preaching of the word of God. Sometimes it's just in the reading of the word of God. That's what the word of God is doing for us. And so it is reminding us again that this world not only labors under the darkness of moral darkness or of religious darkness, but even of intellectual darkness as well. Why do I bring these things up? Well, because you have to understand that the world will present to you a form of quote-unquote light that is based on the intellect of man, that is based on man's rational ability, that will say to you things like this, you don't need superstition in this age of science. And the Christian says, wait a minute. Christ is the light by which I walk through this dark world. And I will always give thanks to God when man is bringing about the creation mandate to have dominion over this world. And in his advances scientifically is showing that dominion. Thank God for it. God using fallen man man, to bring about his purposes. Thank God for it. But I will not be fooled into thinking that that light of science or that light of morality or that light of religion in any way eclipses the light of the world. It can't. It doesn't. And so the Lord Jesus Christ presents himself to you as the light of the world. And there's a sense in which his declaration is very much, in a very real sense, being presented to you right now for the first time. He's the light of the world. How do you respond to that? And so again, by way of implication of our Lord's speaking, he is the light of the world. We see that this world is a dark place. But the second thing that I want you to see by way of implication in this passage of Scripture is is that the Lord Jesus Christ presents our life as a journey. Now, we we hear this quite often, don't we? Uh, We hear people say all the time, life is a journey. And uh, maybe you can pick up a, a birthday card and life is a journey and maybe it's another year behind your, uh, uh, on, on your journey. Well, while, while we often hear that life is a journey, what we often do not hear is where that journey leads. And let me tell you this, based on the word of God, I'm going to tell you where your journey leads. It leads to eternity. Now, I don't know what place in eternity it will lead to, but you can know. You can know. Because if you walk by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in this dark world, 
you will find yourself in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. You will find yourself being brought back to God. You will find yourself in the arms of that one who loved you enough to give his son for you. You see, again, the reality of the gospel has standing behind it the reality of my sin and your sin. This is one of the reasons why the gospel is never to be preached in a vacuum. What do I mean by a vacuum? The gospel is always to, preach, is always to be preached against the backdrop of man's sin. The oldest of us, the youngest of us, we've sinned. You see, the light of conscience, no matter what others think of me, I know what my own conscience says about me. I know when the Spirit of God opens things up and reveals, you know the same thing. And so the gospel, in one sense, should never be preached apart from or, or outside of the context that God's love is all coming to us because of the fact that our sins deserve his wrath and his punishment. But his love comes forth. And so again, this life is a journey. Where will it end? Well, again, on the basis of the word of God, I, I guarantee you that this life, this life's journey ends in eternity. Where in eternity you find yourself is what the gospel is all about. So this life is a journey. And it's interesting, isn't it, throughout the scripture, we see this. Stop and think of Abraham in the Old Testament. What did the writer of Hebrews say about Abraham? He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was walking through this world. He was looking for what God had for him. Stop and think of how many times in the word of God the, uh, the scriptures uh, refer to the Christian as a pilgrim. We are strangers and pilgrims. We are pilgrims in a strange land. And what's a pilgrim? A pilgrim is that one who is walking through. Stop and think, uh, and maybe this is uh, something about the personality of Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Stop and think the way that Paul, that Paul says it about his own life. He doesn't say that he's walking through this world. He talks about his walk, quote unquote, as a race. I've run the, ra I've run the race. I've finished the course. And so again, what we see throughout the word of God is this idea of this, this transitory nature of life, this journey that we are all on. One more picture of the journey, I think, and this is what might be kind of maybe clear in our minds by way of whenever we think of what a journey is, and that's the journey of Old Testament Israel through the wilderness. There was Israel of old being led through the, the wilderness. And do you see and do you understand here that when... We read in Exodus 13 that the Lord, that God promised that he would be that, that pillar, uh, that cloudy pillar by day and the fire by night. That was all designed, <clears throat> that was all designed to lead his people in their wanderings. And so in other words, this was a people who were, who were moving at the direct call of God. God was giving them that direction. And do you know, do you understand that in this eighth chapter of John, where we are at is essentially this. We are at the most, one of the most festive times in the Jewish calendar. We have just finished up what would be the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. And very interesting in John chapter 7 and the Feast of Tabernacles, there were two great rituals that took place. One of the rituals that took place during the seven-day Feast of Tabernacles, which, if you might remember, was to be a recounting of the Old, the Old Testament wanderings. And the reason why they, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles is because the people of God were to construct these little booths that they would live in temporarily throughout the week. And the whole idea was that God didn't want them to forget that he led them through the wilderness. 
And there were two rituals that were associated with this feast. The one ritual was that every, uh, every day of, of the seven days of the feast, there would be a procession from the city of Jerusalem down to the pool of Siloam. And there would be the drawing of water from the pool of Siloam. And, the, and, it would, and, they would, and, and it would be a, 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 a priestly procession. And then they would come back into the, into the city. And they would pour out the water in a, in a way that ritually showed God's provision for them in the wilderness. And it's at that time in John chapter 7 that the Lord Jesus Christ stands up and says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It would be very much like the fact that if I were closing this sermon today and came to the doxology, one of you stood up and said, Everything that the doxology represents is fulfilled in you. How would the rest of you feel about that? You would be greatly offended, wouldn't you? And so, would the, and so was the Jews of that day. That this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is saying that everything that is represented in the pouring out of this water, God providing in the Old Testament, <clears throat> God providing for, for, our, for our fathers in the Old Testament, and as well, it pictured the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this man says that all that refers to him. The challenge of faith. Jesus Christ is the dividing line. How do we respond to that? Now, on top of it, the second ritual was this. <clears throat> Every night during the feast, within the temple precinct, within the court of the woman, of, of, of the women, there were four huge candlesticks. Huge candlesticks. Some accounts say that they were 75 feet high. And on top of these huge candlesticks were four huge bowls. And the young men would put ladders on these lampstands and they would take oil and they would fill the oil. They would fill the bowls with oil. And then at night they would light them off. And it was a festive time. It would be this time, again, it was, it, was, it was a naturally festive time anyway, remembering God's goodness by way of what he provided throughout the year, looking forward to God's blessing, thinking back on God's blessing in the past. So you can imagine the scene at night, no artificial lights by way of electricity, just these lamps. But these lamps were so high and they burned so bright that some say that every house in Jerusalem was lit up by them. It reflected all over. And you can imagine Jerusalem being a city on the hill, what that must have looked like. So now if you go back to John chapter 8, verse 1, you will read this. On the next day, very early in the morning, Jesus began to teach. The woman, is take, the woman comes, the, now the, the, the religious leaders bring the woman caught in adultery. At the end of his dealing with the Pharisees, the religious leaders primarily, but with the woman also, where are those thine accusers? There's no man accused thee. No, neither do, I, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Light. Darkness to sin. Go and sin no more. Light. He now says at verse 12, you have to remember, picture the scene. The morning is just coming up. The lamps were probably freshly extinguished. And as the light comes up, and maybe the smell of the Lamps are still in the air. 
the Lord Jesus Christ proclaims this, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. Do you see what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying? Here you were in these past hours, and it was festive. The commentators tell us even the most dignified of priests would be dancing throughout the night around these lamps. It, 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 it symbolically represented the, the fire that led them through the night. And now the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I am the light of the world, he says. Now, how is he the light of the world? So again, stop and think. <clears throat> the world is a dark place. Our life is a journey, just like in Old Testament Israel. Our, their life was a journey. The third point in our sermon is that the, Jesus Christ is the light by which we walk through this dark world. Well, how is Jesus Christ the light by which we walk through this dark world? Well, understand this. Over and over again in the word of God, light is put for the being of God. God represents himself as light. We read it in Isaiah 60. We see in the, God, in, the, in the epistles of John three wonderful statements that, if I can say this, three wonderful statements that in one sense would become a wonderful foundation for the development of any kind of systematic theology. And the three statements are this. God is life, God is light, and God is love. God is life, God is light, and God is love. God is life. God is light. God is love. And we see the light of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture as he brings to bear the fullness of his being in the situation that he finds himself in. He brings to bear that great reality <clears throat> that's, that's kind of, that, that, that is pointed to in Hebrews chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 3, where we see that he is the express image of the Father's glory, that the, that, 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 that the light of divinity shines through him. His divine nature is seen. We see this as well in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 6, where we see... Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul writing about the Lord Jesus Christ and he says the following, <clears throat> he says the following, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ in his essential nature is God himself. But see, he's the light of the world then, not only in his essential nature, he is also the light of the world by way of his messianic mission. And we cannot overlook this because even as in the Old Testament over and over again we see the reference to God and light being brought together in the Old Testament whenever Messiah is spoken of very often he is spoken of in terms of light some passages of scripture for you Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 9 uh, ver verse 2 uh, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine. Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and I will hold thy hand, and will keep thee, and will give thee a covenant for the people, and a light for the Gentiles. Isaiah, 90, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 49, verse 6. And he said, Is it a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee a light for the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world by way of his messianic mission. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world by way of his own essential nature. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world by way of the knowledge that he gives to humanity of God, of man, and of salvation. What wonderful things we have learned concerning the being of God because of Jesus Christ. I challenge you this. I challenge you with this. Is it possible in our minds in this present day to have any concept of God that is divorced from the idea of love? It's almost impossible, isn't it? Could you think about a God apart from? Could you think about a, about God who did who uh, apart from love? There's a very real sense in which that revelation of the being of God comes to us through Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ says in John three in, in John three sixteen that God so loved the world. You see, this idea of a manifestation of the love of, of the world in giving of His Son is given to us in Jesus Christ. And so he teaches us something about God. Listen to what else he says about God the Father. He says, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You see, he reveals these things to us about the nature of God. And aren't you glad that in your concept of who God is, God is not just a God afar off. And God is not just a God whose wrath must be appeased. But God is a God who is brought near in Jesus Christ. And God is a God who provides the perfect provision for our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Yes, God is love, God is light, and God is life. And this is why our Lord Jesus Christ says that he that walks by me shall have the light of life. So the Lord Jesus Christ revealing to us something about God. Stop and think of what, the, what, the, what our Lord Jesus Christ has revealed about, about man. What he's revealed about ourselves. Now this may be somewhat uncomfortable to you, but in John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, immediately after John chapter 3, verse 16, the Lord Jesus Christ says this, and this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Men love darkness rather than light. Be patient with me here. He didn't say that some men love darkness rather than light. He was making a generic statement concerning humanity. But against this backdrop of man's corrupt nature is the reality of God's overwhelming love for sinners in Jesus Christ. And when the Apostle Paul says that we are accepted in the beloved, understand that your acceptance with God is all bound up in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You've probably spoken to people throughout your life who you've tried to explain the gospel to and they've just not been able to grasp it. They don't maybe understand it. Do you know that you can be as simple as saying this? Just trust in the God who loved you enough to give you his son. And let everything else work itself out from there. So there is this idea in which God's love is brought to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So we learn about God. We learn about ourselves. We learn about sin. Again, that passage in John 3. Men love darkness rather than light. Men love darkness rather than light. Sin, that which fallen man finds appealing. Sin, that which fallen man gravitates toward. Sin, that which our Lord Jesus Christ has come to save us from. You see the wonder the beauty of having light, this light of life, 
So he teaches us about these things. So as we bring this passage of scripture to a close, again, I, I want you to ask, I want to ask you a few things here. Here is this passage of scripture where we have by way of implication that this world is a dark place. I may or may not have been convincing in making that point to you. I'll leave it for you. Is this world a dark place? Secondly, I want you to understand this, that by way of implication, this life is a journey. And I think that's a, a, a well enough accepted truism that I don't think there's much of a challenge there. But the third thing I want to challenge you with is this. Our third point was that Jesus Christ is the light by which we walk through this dark world. My challenge is this. Are you walking through this dark world by that light? Why do I say that? Because the scripture presents to us a situation where man often chooses what I would call false lights to walk by. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 50 in verse 11. Listen to this passage of scripture. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of my hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. Chapter 51. Hearken unto me, ye that follow righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from which you are hewn, and the hole of the pit from which you are digged. Look to Abraham your father, unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion and will comfort her all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden for the Lord, of the Lord. For joy and gladness shall be found. Hearken unto me, my people. Give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. So on the one hand, humanity is creating this fire. He's walking by that fire. He's walking by those sparks. And God says that's going to be insufficient at the last day. But those who seek after righteousness shall have the light of of Christ to lead them through this dark world. And so my challenge to you is this. Are you walking by the light of sparks through this dark world? Or are you walking by the light who is the light of the world? The challenge. But a point of comfort. Hopefully a point of encouragement. If you are walking by the light through this dark world, can I say this to you? Rejoice and enjoy that light. Enjoy the light that God has given you. Did you walk out of the house this morning? 45 degrees, sunny day. Oh, the sunshine feels good. On my, the sunshine feels good, doesn't it? Enjoying the light. There's nothing wrong with that. The Lord Jesus Christ says, He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Enjoy what God has given you in Christ. Off to the side, there are sparks. And people are saying, look at this light. Over here, there's a fire that's lit. And people are saying, look at this. My Christian friends, you have the light of life. The light of the world. Bask in that divine light that God has given in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, how we thank you for your word and how we thank you for the light of the world who is Jesus Christ. Your word which makes this known to us. Your word which makes this clear to us. 
And so, Father, we ask and we pray, Lord, that we would take up the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we would see the extinguishing of the artificial lights around us and that we would come to and gravitate and rejoice in the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. So, Father, grant these things, we pray. Help us to walk in the light that he gives. Help us to be something of a reflection of that light to those that we come in contact with. And, Father, may we know the very enjoyment of that light, even in the same way that that woman who was caught in her sin knew when the Lord Jesus Christ gave to her those wonderful words, both of light and life, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Father, grant that this peace will be ours, grant that that light will be ours, and grant that you will be glorified in both of these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.